Hello and welcome to the first DG Gap podcast. DG Gap, Dumfries and Galloway Growth Accelerator Programme, is funded by Dumfries and Galloway Council and the European Regional Development Fund. I'm Lindsay Mason Ross and I'm a business advisor for the Growth Accelerator Programme, specialising in digital marketing. This podcast is an extension of the Gap Programme, and each podcast will be bringing you interviews and news that will help you grow your business. This is our inaugural podcast, and we'll be talking digital marketing. I'm delighted to introduce our guest today, Talisa Irving. Talisa is an experienced digital marketer, having worked in the field for more than five years, both on a self-employed basis and as a digital marketing manager for various businesses. Hello, Talisa, and welcome to the DG Gap podcast. Maybe you could start us off today by telling us about your role now and what a typical day at work is like for you. So I'm a digital development manager for CN Group. We're a media company. We have a portfolio which includes various news brands, both in print and online, lifestyle magazines, radio stations and events. We operate with clients across Cumbria, Lancaster and Dumfries and Galloway. A typical day for me would maybe involve meeting with various suppliers. So a huge part of my role is looking for digital products that we can take to market. It may also involve working with our sales teams um, to train and develop them within digital products that we have. Um, so we, as a business recently, we have made a slight cultural shift between traditional media and print to more offering more digital solutions for our clients. Okay, so maybe start us off by explaining exactly what we mean by digital marketing. So um, I think that when people hear the word digital, they probably feel a little bit scared and they think, oh no, um, I'm not sure how I would approach a digital marketing strategy. Um, However, we do have to remember that much of the same theory which is applied to traditional marketing is applied to digital marketing and that is just looking for the best place that you can um, promote your brand or your product, your service um, and instead of within a traditional space like print or radio, that's within a digital area and there are, um, I suppose, a lot more opportunities for us to take that to a more targeted audience online. So I suppose for you then at CN Media, it's been quite a culture shift from very print-centred yes. to digital. And that really applies across the board, I suppose, for, for many businesses taking that, that, uh, that leap of faith from traditional marketing to digital. But we talk about social media channels, which just means obviously the various platforms like uh, Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, or uh, as we sometimes call it, the Holy Trinity. Yes. How do you decide which platforms to use? So in other words, what what's the difference between using Facebook, Twitter, and other social media channels? So I suppose, firstly, one of the biggest mistakes that I see startup companies making is that Sometimes they get really excited about social media and they think, right, okay, we need to be on every single social media platform that exists. Now, that's um, sometimes putting a social media strategy together or actually um, fulfilling that is quite resource heavy. So I think that you just really need to look at which social media channels are available, which ones are best for your business and um, choose one or two that you know that you can really be really good at. Now that might be dependent on the industry that you're in. So for example, Facebook is great for business to consumer marketing, whereas Twitter would be better for business to business. Um, it also depends on what resources and skills you have available um, within your business. 
So if you have a lot of time, then you might have the time to go on Twitter and do lots of tweeting, but that's not necessarily ideal for every business. Um, so for example, something like Twitter, like I said, it's um, ideal for business to business. It really is about engaging in conversation with your audience. Whereas Facebook is something that it's easier to automate that. So you can maybe spend a few hours at the beginning or end of a week scheduling your posts. Now that's not saying that there, you have to make time within that week as well to engage with some of your audience, but whereas Twitter is a lot more resource heavy, I would say. Um, now, I think a problem with um, Facebook and Twitter, the Facebook versus Twitter debate, which is always ongoing, um, Facebook have a really good algorithm so you can go on as a consumer at the end of the day and log into your Facebook account and you can see content that's really relevant to you. And these, this might be content that's been put out there over the day or over the past few days. With Twitter, they um, haven't quite developed their algorithm the same. So what happens is you'll go onto Twitter and you maybe just see the last tweets that have been happening right now. So Twitter is very much about what's happening right now and what conversation is going on um, rather than conversation that's maybe happened throughout the day that you might be interested in. So That's a really interesting thing. So talking about, you mentioned the word algorithm. Yeah. Um, in simple terms, what does that mean? Um, so really it's just the piece of technology that Facebook or any other social media channel will develop in terms of getting content across to you to the relevant people so if you put out a piece of content um that is you know sort of maybe about shoes for example it's more likely to go to people who would be interested in buying shoes um, now all the social media channels have different algorithms facebook changes its algorithm um, on various occasions and doesn't really ever tell us when it's going to do that either and really, um, the, the algorithm is developed um, for the audience to make sure that the audience are get, reading the content that they want to read. So, for example, when I like something on Facebook, Facebook remembers that and it will show me content uh, relevant to something that I've either liked or, uh, by extension, now that you have the different reactions on Facebook, you've got like and you've got um, the sad face, you've got the angry face, yeah. so uh, you can express much more emotion yes. um, relative to whatever you're, you're posted on Facebook. So is that's a way that Facebook uh, uses the algorithms to learn what I like and what I don't like, yes. so it'll show me more content based yes. on my likes and dislikes. Yes, so... Um, Facebook probably knows more about us than we know about ourselves. It's quite scary, really. So um, Facebook will sort of pick up on all the activity that you um, do during your times when you're logged into Facebook, and then it'll pick up on that and deliver content that it thinks is relevant to you. Um, so even if you've maybe just liked a page, but you haven't particularly interacted with it, that doesn't, you know, you'll probably not get content from that page. However, you could maybe not even have bothered to like the page, but if you have been searching for topics, which are similar to that page, or if you've been you know, engaging with a page that you haven't liked, you're still bound to get content from that page. Now, obviously, that's all marketing gold for anybody out there who wants to um, have a business Facebook page, for example, because it means that you can really target the right people. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the, the scary things that I read recently is, well, two things. Um, Facebook knows 90 things about me based yes. on my activity, and I'm quite a prolific Facebooker, so it probably yes. knows a bit more than 90. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that 
Uh, I did. I did read that the way that the algorithms work now, and this leads us on into talking a wee bit about paid advertising and boosted posts, um, specifically on Facebook, obviously, is that um, only between two and nine percent of the people who like your page, on average, will see any content that you post. Yes. Uh huh. So I think that people get really wrapped up in how many people like their page when actually it's not really that particularly important because when you're on Facebook and you're putting out some content you just really want to focus on getting that content to the right people you're not actually really bothered if it gets to the people that like your page because a lot of people might like their page because they've maybe entered a competition or something like that so you've got a lot of people that have liked your page that actually aren't necessarily within your target market but there are opportunities on Facebook to send out that information to people who haven't liked your page you know so there's there's like billions of people now on Facebook and you want to concentrate on them rather than just a small amount of people who like your page. And it's all about uh, conversion that's a really important thing so for example if I have 2,000 likes on my Facebook page as you say that's not really um, it's not really that important it's nice but it's a bit of, bit of a vanity metric as they call it so this is where the difference between organic and paid reach comes in can you explain a wee bit about organic and paid reach yes so um, I've heard a lot of people say that they refused to pay any money to Facebook because it was a platform that traditionally was free um, until they introduced paid advertising. However, um, in comparison to a lot of other marketing or advertising platforms, you see highly effective results from paid advertising within social media. Facebook has probably got one of the lowest cost per clicks in comparison to things like LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and again, it, that comes down to the algorithm and how much data Facebook has on you. So you can target um, a male who's 35 plus, who um, is likely to buy a brand new car within the next six months. You know, that's how, how much data we can sort of drill down to. Um, and there isn't really any other platform in the world that offers, that, you know, insights as deep as that. So... Um, there's a lot of hesitance to get involved with paid advertising on Facebook. Um, however, although it is highly effective, it really has to be something that you've incorporated into the rest of your social media strategy or that you've incorporated even you know bigger than that into the rest of your marketing campaign because you really can't expect to not really do any advertising or marketing for an entire year and then pop out a Facebook ad and expect to see great results from that. So um, we see with our clients at work, the ones who actually have spent a lot of time developing their marketing strategy and looked at uh, other other advertising solutions to build like their brand awareness, for example, are the ones that will get better results from their paid advertising um, on Facebook. So um, one thing that I want you to touch on today is um, someone who I often look to for content on things like digital marketing is Gary Vaynerchuk. So he's one of the world thought leaders on digital marketing at the moment. And in 2014, he released a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And this is something that when I take to um, sales staff for training, it's a really great analogy um, to get them to understand how social media works. So it really is about um, jab, jab, jab. So that's about give, give, give. So give content, give good quality content to your audience, give them some value through your social media channels um, 
and then the right hook is where your paid advertising would come in to, to land that conversion. So you need to make sure that you're um sort of you've got your brand awareness right there, that you're building up your social media campaigns. So and that's not about telling the consumers or telling the audience how great your business is, it's about the value you can give them. So when someone's sitting down to put their social media campaign together, they don't want to be thinking well, what can I get from my customers today? It's what can I give my customers? What, you know, entertainment value can I give them? What facts can I give them to read that they'll want to engage with my business? And then when you put together your paid campaign, so you want to put a paid advert out or a boosted post, then you've sort of almost earned that right to ask for that sale. Um, so that's a really good analogy that I like to use is the sort of jab, 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 right hook. Would you recommend that book for the average business? I would. I would recommend it. I would. I think that the only problem is it wasn't released in two thousand and fourteen. So the theory is great, but a lot of the case studies are slightly outdated. And that doesn't seem like a long time ago, but in terms of digital marketing, when it literally changes every single day, some of the case studies in it are slightly outdated, but it's still worth the read. Um, just to get a grip on this theory on like how important it is to use your social media channels. To give value to your audience that's what it's about um so for example i saw a quote recently which said um twitter is like a cocktail party of the internet so what you don't want to do is you if you walked into a cocktail party you don't go in and just talk about yourself because people would be put off by your presence so it's about going in and engaging with conversation with other people um so these are all sort of these are the theories that he outlines um, things like that in the book so the core theory is just to make sure that you're using these platforms to give value rather than to tell no one wants to really hear about how great your business is because they'll just switch off excellent if following on from that can you explain just briefly the difference we talked about paid advertising on facebook for example um, can you explain the difference between a facebook advert and a boosted post when should you use a Facebook advert and when is it okay to use a boosted post? Right, okay. So a Facebook advert, and it is really confusing between Facebook adverts and boosted posts. So a Facebook advert is effectively a dark post. So when you're posting on your main timeline, it wouldn't appear on there. It's only sent to the people who would you target it towards. However, a boosted post is just an organic post which you've popped a little bit of money into to boost it. Now, most commonly the boosted post would be used um, to boost it to people who like your page and their friends, which is it can be really effective. So if you know that you've got a lot of people on your page who do engage with your content and what you're seeing and their friends are likely to buy into that as well because they've, they've probably got the same you know sort of um consumer behavior habits and things um that's quite effective if you're maybe looking for a more niche market for example um then a dark post may be more effective every single business is different so it really is worth actually just trying both of them and seeing what results you get because I suppose one of the advantages of with social media advertising is that it is on a cost per click basis so you don't need to invest a huge amount of money you can literally start off I think the minimum amount is about three pounds or something so you can try we'll try three pounds on a boosted post and we'll try three pounds on a Facebook ad and see which one works best for us. Is it is it right that you should only ever boost a post that's had a chance to perform well organically? Um, I'm not really sure about that but what I would say is that you don't want to boost posts because no one would want to read it otherwise. 
if you're doing that then it's wrong so you really only want to boost good content and make it you know make it get an even bigger reach so what i see is that if maybe someone has a message to send and they think this isn't actually very exciting so we're going to have to stick some money into it um, then it's probably not going to be effective anyway because what what effectively will happen is Facebook will notice that actually this isn't you know a really good piece of content we're going to charge a higher cost per click so it'll reach less people. That's interesting and of course a, a paid Facebook advert or as you said a dark post that has a call to action Yes. Uh, unlike a uh, boosted post, so it's much more um, encouraging the customer to take the next step yes. to actually converting from yeah. just an interested uh, customer to a buying customer, which is of course the holy grail. Yes. Can we move on to talk a wee bit about uh, Google My Business? Yes. Uh, can you just first of all explain exactly what Google My Business is for the benefit of anybody who's not exactly clear? And then let's talk a wee bit about the importance of optimising that listing. Yes, so Google My Business is just a Google account that is available to any business owner. Um, so you go on and you register it. It would usually be associated with your other sort of Google accounts. So if you have a Google Plus account or if you have um, an analytics account as well. So it can sort of come under all under the one account. Um, and really all it is, is when you Google a business page that you want to find out about or you want to find restaurants in Dumfries, for example. If you're on a desktop, on the right-hand side of that page, um, you would see a business profile and that would have things like opening hours, um, address, location, and usually some images on there as well. Um, it's really important to have that information correct because sometimes Google might pick up on information and just stick it in there. Um, you want to make sure that it's there. It's really important. Most people use Google in the United Kingdom. So, um, you know, it's, it's obviously a really important tool to use. Um, and also, if that information isn't correct, a lot of people will just go by that. So if you've got opening hours on there and it's incorrect, then you're going to end up with an angry customer when they come, come out to your shop and it's, it's not, in fact, open. So do I have to claim my Google My Business listing or does it happen uh, uh, magically? No, you would have to set up your Google Google My Business account um, and what would happen is you would probably verify that through a telephone call. So Google would call your place of, you know, the, the place of your business and you would confirm via telephone call if that was all sort of correct. Sometimes it can be a postcard as well, of course, that will send you a postcard with a code on it. Right, yes. And obviously the point of that is that uh, it confirms that you are indeed the business owner yes. and you have the right to modify that information and claim that, that business listing. It's really important to synchronise any data that you have online and make sure that if you have a profile on yale.com or something, for example, that the same phone number's on there as Google, and um, for every piece of information that you've got out there that could be incorrect, Google will penalise you for that. So you need to make sure that all of your contact details and everything are synchronised across your website, across your Google Plus account, across your Google My Business account, um, because Google pick up that actually this person doesn't really know what they're doing. We, we're not sort of confident on the information they're putting out there, so they'll push you down um, onto like the sort of further down the Google list. Rankings. And of course, this is all part of the search engine optimization. Yes. Uh -huh. So it's really important that it you is. do that. Yeah. So do you think it's important to apply structure to your digital marketing activity to get the best results? Um, absolutely. I think that in most areas of your business, you need structure um, and plans. Obviously, with things like social media, 
you want a lot of that to be natural. So you, if you think that social media, um, when you t take on a strategy, you're thinking it's, you're communicating like a human. So you're treating your Facebook like a human being. So, you know, you're, you're building that relationship with your audience. So you don't want too much of that to be automated um, or to feel a bit false, but at the same time, you still need to have a sort of high level strategy that works in um, with the rest of your marketing campaign. So like I was saying earlier, going back to the jab, 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 right hook theory, um, you need to make sure that whatever you're doing in, within the rest of your marketing activity fits in with your social media strategy. So you don't want to be doing one thing over here within your, you know, your print campaign or your radio campaign and something completely different in digital. You need to make sure that it's, it's all supporting each other um, heading for the one objective. Okay. And of course, there are various frameworks. Everybody likes a framework that you can hang your digital marketing off. Um, the one that I sometimes talk about is RACE. So uh, that stands, it's an acronym. It stands for Reach, Act, Convert, Engage. And it just focuses the mind a bit on the various steps that you need to consider when you undertake your digital marketing activity. So REACH is about defining and articulating exactly who your customers are, who your audience is. Um, ACT is about the channels and the message that you use to reach that audience. Uh, CONVERT is about the, the all-important conversions, converting them from um, engaging with your posts on Facebook, say, or engaging with a, an email newsletter and uh, taking them to the next stage which is to buy from you and engage is keeping them as a customer going forward so give them value give them added value give them content to engage with to make them a loyal customer in the future Talisa, can we now talk a wee bit about uh, content what exactly do we mean by content we use that word a lot mm -hmm. um well the content would just refer to anything that you put out on your social media channels or your website or your blog um, it could be inter it could be text it could be story it could be video it could be images um, and it's just stuff that your audience would engage with and that would read and buy into so it is really important to have good quality content um, and original content as well so one of the mistakes I see local businesses uh, small businesses doing quite often is they maybe have a, an event or an offer, for example, maybe a restaurant have a specific dish. Instead of putting an, an image of their own product out there, they go into Google Images and maybe nick one from there, which isn't ideal. Um, probably because you're in violation of sort of like copyright laws. Um, and also that the, the audience on social media know that that's false and they switch off from that. So people, a lot of people are focused on providing really good quality images when in fact, particularly within social media, people would rather see things that are real life. So they want to see an image from your restaurant off your food. They don't really want to see the sort of, you know, the, the Michelin star version that someone's <laughs> taken from Google Images because then you're either you're going to have um, the situation where you've got a customer that comes in and they're going to have really high expectations or they're going to think, actually, I don't really have faith in that business because you, they've just told me a lie. They've, they've put that, that picture on when I know actually that, that looks nothing like the, the, the products that they have to offer. Um, so it really is important to just make sure that you're putting out content that is true to your business. Um, and I suppose some, I suppose it's like we as Brits, we find that maybe quite hard to talk about ourselves and how good we are or maybe tell our own story. Um, 
and it's just about having videos of what's going on in the background of your business. People like to see behind the scenes. It builds up that trust between you and the audience. And then again, so if you're feeding them that content throughout the day, when you do have something important to say or you've got an offer, an event that you want them to convert to, then you're in a better position to do that. And of course, the other thing about uh, taking images that are on Google is that the original owner of that image could come after you. And it has happened, of course, yes. on social media. They've got reverse uh, reverse image yes. search. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. So they can find out um, who's using an image without uh, proper copyright. Uh, is there anywhere online that you can get images that you could use? Yes, um, you can go on to, you know, if you had Adobe or something, for example, there are stock images available to you um, that you can put on your website or on social media and things like that. However, um, I would always use that as a last resort because I think, again, it's not true to your business. Sometimes they're okay if you have a website or something like that. Um, obviously, professional imagery comes at a large cost to a small business. Um, but in terms of social media and things that are probably just going to disappear within a few days, I think that if you're in a position to do so, you're better just to get your smartphone out and take a quick snap on that. You don't really need to worry that it's not of a professional quality because the audience on social media don't expect that at all and I think that um, it only it, it's only an advantage to your relationship with the consumers to put on a true image rather than source a stock image from elsewhere. And of course there's lots of uh, lots of tools online, low cost and free in fact, yes. tools online that you can use to generate images to use on uh, social media like Canva for example, yes. which is a free tool, uh, canva.com and uh, the other one that I uh, quite like to use now and again is uh, Adobe Spark for video, which can produce really nice stuff free of charge that you can use on social media and then it's original mm -hmm. uh, original content. Of course, posting images is one thing, but you can also share other people's posts, which is fine, and interesting bits and news that are relevant to your industry or business. Is this something that you do often? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's really hard as a business to actually put out original content every day because you're busy running your business. So it's often good to share other people's um, posts that often gauges conversations. So whether it's something that's going on a worldwide issue that you might want to engage people in conversation um, or within your industry. Um, also, it's, I, it's, it's always a good thing to share other people within the local community um, because then it just builds up your brand again. So if you were a local hotel, for example, you might want to share information of events that are happening within Dumfries and Galloway or restaurants that you, people might want to go to um, because that's all relevant to your audience. Okay. Can we also talk a wee bit about hashtags since we're talking about social media and hashtags is uh, quite an important part of social media. Uh, what do we mean by hashtags and when is it, on what platforms is it best to use hashtags? So a hashtag is something you would see often used within lots of social media. There is a bit of a debate over whether it should be used on Facebook or not. I think it's completely relevant to use it on Facebook because again, if someone's searching for something, um, Facebook is quite widely used now as a search platform, you're more likely to appear in that search. Um, you don't want to use it too much on Facebook because again, um, it's, it's something, you know, it, it can maybe look a bit spammy, I suppose, if you're if you're sort of 
put 10 hashtags into a Facebook post, but maybe one, one is one is relevant for Facebook. Um, it's ideal for Twitter and then again for, for Instagram. So it's widely used within Instagram and that's a platform where actually you can get away with putting as many hashtags in as you want um, to attract as many people to your post as possible. Instagram, just explain what Instagram is. So Instagram is owned by Facebook. Um, it's taken over a few years ago. It is a photo sharing platform. So originally it was developed for people to share photos and there was a rule that you were only supposed to put photos on there that had been taken on a smartphone. Um, however, most people, a lot of people have broken that rule. You see a lot of professional images on there as well. Um, and then it sort of, it, it, it built up from there. Instagram is probably one of my favourite platforms personally to use. It's again something that could be used really well in business. It's probably underutilised, but it's again something that you really need to have the resource and the skills internally in your business to take advantage of it. Another good thing about Instagram is that if, uh, if you have Instagram and a Facebook business page, then it's easy to share things on Instagram and automatically post them on to your Facebook page. Yeah. So it's keeping that content uh, fresh as well. Yes. Um, but it's important to remember that Instagram is uh, curated images. So if your business is a is a very visual business, say if hairdressers, makeup artists, perfect because it's a visual product, then it's certainly a great platform to include in your uh, digital marketing mix. Yes. Can we move on a wee bit and talk about uh, whether or not... Uh, to outsource or DIY? What are your thoughts? Okay, this probably comes down to the size of your business. A lot of people outsource because their business is maybe so small that they don't have the internal resource to do so. And then some businesses might outsource because they're on the opposite end of the scale and to do, you know, maybe to do their social media activity that would take employing a full-time person to do so and it's more financially feasible for them to outsource that. Of course, the other thing is that if you outsource, the, the company that you outsource to really has to understand your business, yeah. and nobody understands your business really as well as you do. Yes, in the same way that if you went out to employ someone, you would make sure that that person fit in with your business. So there's a lot of people out there that maybe offer social media, for example. Um, however, social media really needs to be done, in my opinion, if possible by someone within your business. And that person doesn't need to be a digital expert. You might want to outsource a digital consultant, for example, to maybe look at your digital strategy and then pass on the work back to you, which is great. But if you have the resource in-house, um, all it needs is someone with the sort of passion to drive your business. Because like I said before, social media is sort of almost human activity. And it really is just telling the story of your brand. So if you have got someone in your business that's really passionate about your brand and your business, then they're probably in a really good position to then go on and tell that story within social media. Obviously, there's solutions out there um, in terms of training to get people up to scratch with the technology behind it all. Um, so in terms of outsourcing, it just really depends on the business. There are businesses that... In fact, social media is right to outsource because of the probably because of the size and scale of their business. Um, but I would say that if you are a small business, if you can either yourself or have someone within your business do that, then that's probably the the best approach. And if you do decide to outsource your social media, for example, 
um, you really want to, to see that you will get a return on investment for that. So you need the, the person that you outsource it to really needs to prove they have a track record of yes. uh, successful social media campaigns because that's an investment that you're making. If you're doing that in-house, of course, uh, if it's a DIY option, then you can analyse your Facebook insights, which is a whole other topic that we haven't got time to touch on today. But um, certainly there's a lot to consider about whether you do it yourself or whether you outsource your digital marketing, in particular, your, your social media. Talking about a return on investment and analysing the impact of your digital activity, can we talk a wee bit about Google Analytics? Um, a massive subject, obviously, but is there anything that we should particularly be looking out for in our Google Analytics, assuming that we know how to access it and um, our website is linked to Google Analytics? Um, so Google Analytics, it's, it's actually more straightforward than sort of people think. They hear the word analytics and think it must be really data, data heavy and lots of numbers. Um, and whereas you can extract a lot of data from Google Analytics, it's actually really user friendly as well. Um, so you can easily see things like referrals, so you can see where people have come from and that's probably the most important part because if you've spent 30 hours a week on your social media strategy but actually you realise only 5% of your customers are coming through your website from social media, then you, 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 know, you maybe need to have a look at that and think, well, actually, um, we need to revisit our social media strategy. So it's just really important to understand who your users are. So um, you might have a business that's targeted towards females, for example, but you find out that actually just as many males are coming to your to your business. So that would then allow you to then, you know, capitalize on that and go back and say, well, actually, you know, we, we need to rethink our strategy. Um, where, where in the world they're coming from, um, because you might actually be able to exploit more opportunities within a certain market if you feel that there's a demand for your product, for example, if you had an e-commerce product and you found lots of people coming from the United States, you might think that there's, there's an opportunity there. Um, but most of all is if you, you know, you're not a digital expert and you have a website and you want to use Google Analytics, you just need to go in and see what information you can extract that's important to you. So you can go really deep into the insights, but most small businesses won't have the time or the skill to do that. But you do need to make sure that you are accessing that platform on a regular basis and that you are measuring everything that you're doing within social media or any other advertising for that matter as well. So looking at the traffic is really important, but there's so yeah. much, as you say, there's so much information in Google Analytics, including demographics. So it goes right down to gender yeah. and age and interests, which is really, really useful mm -hmm. stuff. If you need to dive deep into your Google Analytics, uh, which, which again, you might decide to outsource. Um, it's worth mentioning here as well that at the end of the podcast, we will be talking about the uh, different levels of support that we've got through Business Gateway and through the GAP programme, including workshops on things like Google Analytics and search engine optimization, digital marketing. So uh, stay tuned to the end of the podcast for some information about that. Um, there's also, although Google Analytics is great, there are other platforms out there as well that allow you to look at and measure some of your online activity. So there's a um, tool called Hotjar, which is one of my personal favourites. And um, if you're quite a visual person like me, so you don't like to sit in front of lots of data, um, this it records visits online. So you can see recordings of how people behave when they're on your website. So it literally records their activity. It also provides a heat map 
from your website so you can see where all the hot spots are, where people are hovering over with their mouse, um, where the cold spots are on your website. So if you have maybe, if you have an e-commerce website and you see a, a, a hot spot where there's products on there and you think, well, actually, that's really good. I'll do more of that. So you can do more of the hot things. And if there's any cool spots where you think people aren't interested, you might actually just want to drop that off. So that's really insightful. And it's just another way that, if, like I said, if you don't really want to look at lots of data or, you know, you're maybe struggling with Google Analytics, it's a more visual visual tool that you can use. Is Hotjar a free? It is, yes. So it is. There's a there's a free version of it, which I think for most small businesses, um, is quite sufficient. That you would need to go onto this sort of premium account and paid for. Okay, that's good. And finally, Talisa, what are your top three tips for effective digital marketing for a small business? So my three top tips would be to produce quality content. Um, now that could be in the form of photos or video or just text, just anything that's true to your business and that can communicate your brand story. Also, um, to measure the success of that. So you want to make sure that you're getting a return on the, your investment and that could just be your time. So you don't want to spend many, many hours on social media and then realise actually that's not converting to sales. So you need to, on a regular basis, make sure that what you're putting in, you're getting something back. And um, also, finally, it really is just the passion. So it's the passion to carry your either your social media or your digital marketing forward. Um, and a lot of that is just down to um, communicating your brand's story. And if you have the resource in, in-house to do that, then you will be more successful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us today, Talisa, and sharing your experiences. It's been an absolute pleasure. As you know, it's a massive subject and we could both talk about it all day, but I'm sure nobody's got the, the time or the patience to, to listen to that. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Lindsay. If you would like digital marketing advice and support to help grow your business, contact the Gap Helpline on 01387 260380 or email us gap at dumgal.gov.uk. And remember, all our support is fully funded by the Friesen Galloway Council and the European Regional Development Fund. Gap aims to support and encourage the growth ambitions of small businesses in Dumfries and Galloway by providing a package of support that's tailored to the needs of each business. For more information on DG Gap, check out the website at gapdg.co.uk where you'll find details of the support available through GAP, including one-to-one business support from sector-specific experts, workshops and specialist support, including sales and marketing, branding, social media, business strategy or IT. Next time, we'll be speaking to Alan McNaught from Business Gateway Dumfries and Galloway. Alan is the team leader at Business Gateway Dumfries and Galloway, and he'll be talking about the support available from Business Gateway. So join us then.